We're going to be looking this morning at a passage in 1 Peter. And so I'd invite you to turn there now. Um, It can be found on page 9 in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along in a pew Bible, it's on page 1014. We'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 in just a few moments. As we begin the new year, uh, we'll consider this text that talks about our inheritance and our living hope. And then we'll begin a short series through the book of Ruth. We're looking forward to studying that book together next. And then after that, we'll do another not-so-short series uh, on the book of Romans, which is a little longer than Ruth. And so after about 10 years, we'll tell you what we're doing next. No, we, we won't be taking that long. Uh, and then this summer, we're looking forward to taking a break and looking at the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So those are some things you can... Uh, be thinking about, looking forward to for 2023. But here we are, first day of 2023. None of us are used to writing it yet, probably. Um, Maybe you haven't had to yet this morning. A lot of the craziness of the Christmas season may be subsiding for you. Um, The gifts are open. Some of those are already broken. Some (laughs) Some of them have been returned. Some, like Legos, are great to have always, right? Um, Many of us have eaten our fill of holiday foods, and um, for others of us who want this time of year to just continue to keep those playlists going, we know that at some point we're going to need to pack up those things and start it all again next year. And so our attention is turning now to this non-holiday time of life, when we kind of ask ourselves, what does normal life look like, (laughs) whatever that might be? And one of the things that's good to consider now that Christmas and Advent are over is what is life going to look like for you in 2023? There's a lot that we can't know about this, right? I can't stand here and tell you what lies in the year ahead. But what is your perspective going to be? What's going to orient your choices, your decisions, your responses to the things that happen in this coming year? Well, in our passage this morning, Peter just gives this amazing, succinct overview of what matters most for us, of what can be our guiding perspective in whatever this year may entail. And that is our living hope. And so as we look at that this morning, I think we'll all be encouraged at how this idea of our living hope and all that that entails can really orient us, sustain us, encourage us, as we look ahead to whatever may come during this year. So let me read for you our passage. It's 1 Peter 3, or I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9, and then we'll consider it together this morning. This is God's word in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, so far the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask his help as we consider this beautiful text this morning. Our Father in heaven, we come humbly this morning asking for you to do your work by the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would use your word to strengthen us, to convict us, to shape us, to mold us, to encourage us, to fill us with joy over the Lord Jesus Christ and all that you have done for us through him. And so we ask for your help this morning. We know that there are many things on our minds and our hearts. And so we pray that you would help us to hear and see and believe the wonder of the good news that you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we consider this passage, you'll notice there's a lot in it, but I'm going to break it down into three points. So we'll have three points, and then um, if you like um, symmetry, each of those points has two subpoints. So you could think of it as a three-point sermon or a six-point sermon, however you want to think about that. But that's where we're going this morning. And so as we think about our first point, um, Peter describes for us your new situation. Your new situation. We'll see your new situation. Second point is your certain future. And then thirdly, your present salvation. But first of all, he brings us right in to consider the newness of the situation because of what God has done. Verse 3 begins by telling us that God has done something. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And so that's the first point that we see in our new situation. You have been born again. Believer, you have been born again. Now, born again may be a phrase that gets thrown around a lot for you. It depends kind of where you're grown up and what language you're used to. It could have little meaning or just kind of be shorthand for someone who goes to church or went forward during an altar call. It could mean all kinds of things. But think for a moment how rich this phrase being born again, really is. And one of the ways we consider, can consider that is just by asking the question, what if you had been born in a different situation? What if we were to go back and give you a completely different birth? It would affect everything about you, wouldn't it? It would affect you relationally. You'd have a different family, different relationships and connections, It would change your status, most likely. You may be born into abject poverty or wealth and a family name. It would affect you physically. So you'd have different parents and different genes and aptitudes and weaknesses and abilities. But what Peter is saying here is that when he says you have been born again, it means that whatever the significance of your first birth and how that has shaped everything about you, a more significant rebirth has happened and it has altered everything about you as well. You are now part of the family of God. 
That's the primacy of all your relationships. And you now have the status of being an heir of his kingdom. And physically, even though we may not notice that change yet, we know that physically we will one day be glorified and bodies fit for dwelling with God forever. And so what Peter wants us to consider right away is that God, by his mercy, not because of anything that we have done, but has brought you into this new situation of being born again. And we understand the, the depths of this as we consider what we've been born into or what we've been born to. And Peter calls that a living hope. And so you have been born again, but then secondly, you have a living hope in this new situation. Now this phrase, living hope, I think can be hard for us to wrap our minds around. A, a living hope, what does that mean? Uh, and we can think of it in a few ways, but first of all, the object that we're hoping for is alive. We are not just hoping for or trusting in or looking forward to something that's inanimate or just stuff one day. Our hope is in the living God, and he never dies. The object of our hope is alive. But it also talks about the goal for us in what we're hoping for. What we are waiting for, looking forward to as believers, is life. Life with God. Eternal life. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. The living hope that we look forward to is the fullness of eternal life with God forever, with the living one who will never die. And we too will be changed to never die with him. And this living hope is brought about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Peter says. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changed everything for human beings like you and me. In it, for the first time, a human nature that was forever and is forever born by the Lord Jesus Christ it entered into glorified life in the presence of God. That had never happened before. Until then, the only option for humanity was being part of the family of Adam, having a human nature that because of sin was now perishing and would one day result in death. But in Christ's resurrection, all that changed. And what we just celebrated during Advent is how Jesus went to the very heart of all that was keeping us from that eternal life that we were made to enjoy. By coming to earth and taking on flesh, by living a perfect life, by becoming a blameless sacrifice, bearing our very sin on the cross, he paid our penalty and he ripped the sting right out of death itself. And it didn't stop there, but then by being raised from the dead and vindicated in righteousness and ascending to God, he ushered our humanity into something never achieved before, glorified new creation life. Hebrews 6.19 tells us that 
our hope that's an anchor for our soul is this hope that has entered into the inner place behind the curtain. And what he's getting at there is just the beauty of this, of the fact that our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, has entered into the holy of holies bearing a human nature. And all of us who are believing in him will come to that same holy, holy experience of life with God forever simply by faith in him. Jesus is our forerunner, and by faith in him, we too will go where he has gone. And so when Peter says, and I know this is kind of a deep dive at the beginning, but just see the richness of this theology. When Peter says we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it's really another way of saying that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish as we all would in Adam, but will have eternal life with God through faith in Christ. You know, things often feel the same as a Christian, don't they? (laughs) As we get older, we think that, or, well, when we're younger, I think. We think, oh, it's my birthday. I'll feel different tomorrow. I'll be taller or whatever, right? Oh, it's the last day of 2022. Tomorrow will be different. And then we wake up and it's, it's the same me. <laughs> Sorry. It's the same life. Um, it's just another day in the same journey, same struggles that we had the day before. But Peter calls us, even in the midst, especially as we've been, some of us may be Christians for a long time or things may not feel all that different, Peter calls us to stop and to to consider the wonder of what has truly happened to you because of the Lord Jesus. Your situation is entirely different because of him. You have been reborn in Christ. You have a living hope of life with God. And if you don't know if you have that living hope today, that invitation is for you. This is what God offers to sinners. This radical change through faith in Christ can be yours simply by calling out to him for forgiveness and asking for new life today. But for those of us who are trusting Christ, we realize this new situation of a new birth and a living hope, it has changed our future. And that's what we see in our second point. Our new situation is that we've been born again. We have a living hope. Secondly, we have a certain future. And we see that in verses 4 to 6. Your certain future. That rebirth that God has caused to happen in the lives of those who are trusting in Christ, it has forever altered your destiny. And it has forever altered it in two ways. First, you have a heavenly inheritance. You have a heavenly inheritance, believer. It says, you have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I think those three words, really kind of the flip of those three words, capture everything that we experience that's wrong with this world and that's hard about this life. Everything we know perishes, doesn't it? No matter how new and shiny, kids, no matter how new and shiny those toys that you just got are, or that clothing, or that device, 
it will one day end up in a garbage heap. It will perish. And Toy Story 3 really brought that out in a vivid way, right? (laughs) But on an even more serious level, no matter how full of life and strong we may be at one time, we are heading toward perishing, aren't we? And it's not only, not only does everything perish, but it's defiled. No matter how great anything that we delight in might seem, sin and corruption and distortion come and have their way with even the most beautiful and pure things that we enjoy in this life. And everything we know fades We have these glimpses in life, don't we? These foretastes of of Eden's joys shot ahead to us and we, we taste it and we love it and we say, this is what we're made for. And yet what happens with every one of those tastes? They fade. But our heavenly inheritance, the life that awaits us, is not like that at all. Everything in the new creation that we will be a part of is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And it is kept in heaven for you. It's there in the presence of God, untouched by anything that could defile it or short-circuit it or touch it in any way. And it's ready to be revealed, Peter says, in the last time. We'll receive it at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes again. And so, brothers and sisters, you have a heavenly inheritance of new creation life forever that is your destiny because you have been reborn by the mercy of God. And so you have this heavenly inheritance. It's it's safe in heaven. But what about us, right? It's there, but we're here. But that's what's amazing is not only do you have a heavenly inheritance, you are protected by God. You are protected by God. Look at verse 5. He says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love this picture because what it tells us is this. There's not some glorious inheritance that God creates and he holds out and he says, well, let's see who's going to make it. Let's see who can get to this. It's really great. Try really hard. Instead, what does he say? You are being guarded by the very power of God for this salvation that's just waiting to be revealed when Christ returns. Guarded is a military term. And what it wants us to picture is the best protectors you can think of surrounding you and their sole mission is to get you safely to where you need to be. And we could think of this in all kinds of ways. You could think of the Avengers or the Mandalorian accompanying Grogu or special forces that are uniquely assigned to you and their sole job is to get you there. But it no matter what that is, that image in your head, this is way better. Because what is guarding you is not some human or some superhero force. But what is guarding you is the very power of God himself. God's power that cannot be overcome by any power that's been created. That's what's guarding you all the way. And it says that the way that this guarding happens is through faith. 
Now, I have to admit, when I hear that, it feels like a bait and switch to me. And maybe it does to you too. You're being guarded by the very power of God, but that's through faith. And so what comes to my mind is I'm in some sort of video game, right? Trying to make it to the end. And you have a faith meter. Maybe it's like praying hands kind of up in the screen, you know? You start with 10 praying hands. And as long as you have enough praying hands or faith hands, then what happens? The the force around you remains strong and you're protected, right? But if your faith starts to waver or shrink, if things come at you that start chipping away at your confidence in God, then what happens? The protection also dwindles, doesn't it? And that's what makes us think things like, as hardships and adversities are coming into our life, we may think things like, well, maybe I don't have enough faith, and that's why this is happening to me. But that's not what Peter's saying at all. He's saying, you are guarded by the very power of God, but the way that that guarding happens is through faith. Faith is this dependent posture of trusting in the promises and the character and the power of God. And so we can relate to it when we think of those movies or shows that we've seen where you have the protectors around this helpless person. And what do they need to do to make it to their destination? Stay with them. Trust. Listen. Do what they say. Don't go off on your own, right? And you'll be fine. Well, on an even greater level, that's what this is saying, is that God will do the protecting of us, but what he invites us into and calls us to is a posture of trusting his protection, not somehow working it out on our own or somehow through our own faith we're making it happen, Instead, it's the very faith that he has given us. It's the faith that he, by his power, will ensure that we have so that we remain protected all the way to that heavenly inheritance. So he will do the protecting. He wants us to do the trusting, the walking with in each step of the journey, knowing we are guarded, protected by God himself. Isn't that beautiful imagery? Boy, what a a confidence and a certainty we can have. But what do we do with that certainty that Peter tells us we have? Is it, don't think too much about that. Yeah, that you're guarded, you're going to get there, this is your destiny, nothing can change this, just continue to trust. Don't think too much about that. Um, Stay focused on the now. You might become ineffective if you're thinking too much about what God has for you and how he's going to get you there. Do you know what Peter says in verse 6 as the response of this? In this, referring to all that's come before, in this you rejoice. So what does that mean? That the response that God wants you to have when you hear about all that is laid up for you and all that you will surely obtain because God's power will get you there. He wants you to understand that as you look around at all the uncertainties, as you look around and experience things that seem so dangerous and destroying to us, he wants us all to take a deep breath and to think about the certainty of what is ours 
because God, by his great mercy, has made it so. Take a deep breath and feel the joy, the rejoicing over what God has done for you and will do for you all the way to the end. By his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again to a living hope, a heavenly inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, and God is guarding you all the way there as we continue to walk with and trust him. And so where Peter's gone so far is, here's who you are in this new situation. Here's what awaits you. Here's how you're going to get there. But what is it like along the way? And that brings us to our third point, your present salvation. Your present salvation. Peter wants us to see that this current situation is not one of just waiting. It's of having and growing in that salvation and that life now. And in verse 6, he shifts to the now. In this you rejoice, looking back, though now, this is where we are, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What Peter wants us to see is your trials have purpose. Now, your trials have purpose. He says that this now time is one of trials, and every phrase that he says about them is significant, and we could do such a beautiful class about trials, but I'm going to boil things way down. There's so much more to say. But if we just contemplate these phrases, he says they're various trials. You fill in the blank of what the trial is that you are going through now, whether that's persecution or being perturbed. There are trials that we all experience, various trials, and those trials, they grieve us. Trials bring humans grief, sorrow, heartache. Trials don't just bounce off of us, and God knows this. But he says those trials are now for a little while. I think the nature of going through a trial is that it feels like it will never end, doesn't it? And then even if you know this trial will end, your experience of continued trials makes you say, well, what's the next one around the corner? But God's perspective that Peter's telling us is these trials, in comparison with what awaits us, The now of these trials is really just a little while. And that can be so helpful to remember. Paul calls them light and momentary afflictions, while in no way doing away with the grief and the burden that they are. And then there's that one other phrase that's there. Though now, for a little while, if necessary. Now, this is the one that I think if we stop and we're honest, if we pretend for a moment we're not just giving all the church answers this morning just because we're in church, this one can be a little hard to stomach, right? The things that I'm going through, the things that my loved ones are going through, as you look around and you consider the trials of this life necessary, really, (laughs) 
I think we can all say, God, I can think of a lot of ways this would not be necessary to be going through this. I could let you in on those. It's not that hard, right? What kind of God calls this suffering and this grief necessary? And we could go down the road of God's sovereignty and all those kinds of things, and that all has a place. But what I want you to see that that Peter's doing here is he wants us to consider the alternative. He says that these sufferings now for a little while are necessary. What if what you were going through was actually unnecessary suffering? Wouldn't that be far worse? That's what he wants us to consider we may wonder and really wrestle with the whys and the hows of our trials or other people's trials. But what God wants us to know is that somehow, not one moment of those trials is being wasted by God. That he is somehow, in a way we will never fully understand until glory, working out a good purpose through those very things. And one of the good things that he's doing, Peter says, is that he's revealing something precious. Peter uses the imagery of gold being refined by fire. It goes through the fire and dross is consumed. And and then what remains is seen for what it really is. It's this precious, valuable, pure, precious gold. Well, in an even greater way, Peter is saying, Because you know what? Even gold ultimately perishes, but God is doing something that will never perish. He's using the fiery trials of this life not to test you to see if you have faith. He knows the faith you have because he gave it to you and he by his power is keeping you in it. But instead, he is doing it to show the faith that he knows you have, so you can come to see the preciousness of what it is to have genuine faith in God. Faith that doesn't keep you floating above trials or make you just float over the fire, but faith that goes through the fire and continues to say, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I don't understand all of this, but I know who God is and I'm going to keep trusting him even if it feels so weak and so small and so fragile. It can be hard to see this genuine faith in ourselves, isn't it? Often when we are going through the trials, we feel the heat, we smell the smoke, our Cheeks are stained with tears from the grief that they cause. But we've seen the preciousness of faith of others going through trials, right? As they go through what is so difficult, and yet instead of turning from God, they're humbly still turning toward him. We can perceive it in others, but it can be hard to perceive in ourselves. But this is what Peter says is happening. God is using those trials to bring forth the pureness of that faith, to show it for what it is in you. One day you will see it 
And it will be celebrated. It results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise, glory, and honor bestowed upon us that then just gets refracted back to God because he gave us all this in the first place. But for now, we might not see it, but I tell you what, others will see the preciousness of your faith. And that faith is not like gold that perishes. The preciousness, the sweetness, the beauty, the intimacy of it will never be taken away, but will just be shown forth for all eternity. What trials are you enduring? (laughs) What trials have you been enduring in 2022 that probably didn't just stop because the clock struck midnight? God wants you to know that your trials are for a little while, and they have purpose. He will not let one moment of them be wasted. And he says that what will result will outweigh, will be more valuable than all that was endured. We don't understand how, but he wants us to know that's true. And so God is using our trials for something eternally precious. And then in the final part of our point, we'll see that we're not just sitting around enduring hard things and waiting for good things. That's how it could sound, right? Peter wants us to see the wonder of what we have now. You have salvation now, believer. You have salvation now. Even though now is a time of not seeing, it's also a time, Peter says, of receiving and obtaining and experiencing the goal of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. What that's saying, it's another way of saying that that living hope of life with God forever, it has begun even now. We're not just waiting for it to start. And he speaks of this in terms of love. He says this beautiful thing, Though you have not seen him, you love him. You know, one of the most powerful, consistent images that the Bible uses to describe our relationship with God is that of a love story. It's a marriage. Jesus as the bridegroom, we who are trusting in him as the bride, and he will one day return, and what happens? The marriage supper of the Lamb, this eternal celebration of the most intimate union possible between humanity and God, expressed by love and marriage. What Peter wants us to see here is that if it's this overarching love story, then the part of the story that we are in right now is this engagement while you're away from each other, right? The relationship is there, and what we are doing now matters with what will happen. If we think of it on a human level, we may think of a couple that's engaged, and maybe because of a deployment or because you're on opposite coasts or whatever, you're making plans toward the wedding, and this this is happening in a long-distance way, right? But we all know that if... That time apart is done well. It leads in a greater fullness and richness when that wedding day comes around, doesn't it? All of the thinking about the other, 
all of those nights spent talking all night on the phone, the, the times that you're texting, the times that you're just dreaming of what it will one day be, the times that you're making plans of how can we get to that day, all of that is building in a richness of, of love and joy that will just increase in its degree on that wedding day. And in an even greater way, that's what Peter says is happening here. How much more with our relationship with Jesus? Though you don't see him now, you love him. And we believe in him. And as we do, even now we have this joy in our relationship with him that we can't quite explain. But when our Lord Jesus comes again, and our bridegroom comes to wed us to himself forever, all of that loving and believing and rejoicing that we are cultivating now will give way to a love and a joy to a degree that we have never known before. So even now, in this life without seeing, living by faith in the midst of life's trials times, Peter wants you to know that you are receiving you are obtaining, you are experiencing that goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, life with God by the Spirit, even now as we wait for him. We heard in our scripture reading this morning how shortly before Jesus left, he redirects Peter's attention toward his love for Jesus, doesn't he? And I love Peter's story. Because Peter's love and Peter's faith were far from perfect. Part of the reason he's saying he loves Jesus three times is he's just denied Jesus three times, right? And when I hear Peter's story and I think of the lines of the song that we're about to sing, for my love is often cold, right? Our love for Jesus isn't always what it should be. And yet imperfect Peter was called by Jesus to continue to love and follow him. And Peter did that in an imperfect, weak, and failing way, but he did it by God's power until his death and even beyond his death, didn't he? And that's what Peter himself is inviting us into as well. It seems like a helpful call for all of us as we look to 2023 is to hear afresh that invitation to love and follow our Savior, even while we don't yet see him, and setting our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when he returns, especially as we continue to be people who love and long for his appearing. May God help us in that, as he promised he will do, as we look to him for the strength. Let's pray. Our Father, we pause and just give you thanks for the wonder of what you, by your sovereign mercy, have done for us. The wonder of what awaits us, the certainty we have that we will arrive, and the love even now that is ours, the joy that is broken in from heaven that we can't always describe, but it's the joy already of knowing that life with you is ours because of the work of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Will you strengthen our faith in these things? 
Will you help us to rejoice even in the time now of not seeing and trials? And will you assure us of what will one day be when our Lord Jesus appears? We ask this all in his name. Amen.